0: When Blanche's brother comes to town for a visit, she does what she always has, she sets him up on dates. Those dates never seem to work out and Rose is the only one willing to listen to Clayton to learn about his type. When his type turns out to be much different than anyone expected, lies are spread, friendships are broken, and the house is left in chaos. Will Clayton come clean to his sister? Will Rose clear her name? Will Sophia die on Saturday night? Will that peephole make other appearances? Find out all of that and more in today's episode, Scared Straight. Thank you for the friendship. We've come so far and traveled wide. Oh, you're my best friends. I could never lie. I love when we It's a beautifully sunny Miami, definitely not Southern California day when we enter the home to find a blue floral dress and yellow cardigan wearing Sophia laid out on the couch. When a very colorful Dorothy comes in wearing a purple blouse over a plaid one over a white one paired with baggy light jeans, she's carrying a stunning bouquet of flowers, which she then sets on the side table. While doing so, she is ignoring several exaggerated sighs that have escaped her mother's mouth. In a game of hot and cold, Sophia's sighs grow stronger with each silent step Dorothy takes away from her without acknowledging them. When Dorothy gets to the kitchen door, Sophia can't take it anymore and hollers out, asking her daughter if she even cares about what's wrong. Dorothy doesn't, but humors her mother anyway and asks. Turns out, it's bad news. Sophia will die in three days. In that case, Dorothy won't worry about picking up a new tube of topical heat rub.
1: When sore muscle pain needs relief, turn on the heat. With mentholatum deep-heating rub, soothing warmth that penetrates where the ache begins. For sore muscle pain and stiffness, there's no beating deep-heating.
0: Unsatisfied with her daughter's lack of concern, Sophia finds the strength to follow her into the kitchen where she persists with this whole how-can-you-be-so-insensitive-to-a-dying-person act. Dorothy pooh-poohs her mother's death clock, but Sophia is certain she's dying. Why? Because she had a death dream in which Sal spoke to her. When Dorothy asks how that happened, Sophia brings up her favorite Canadian impressionist, actor, and man of a thousand voices, Rich Little. Rich Little, besides appearing on favorites like Chips, Fantasy Island, and ALF, is known for his impressions. He's gone the way of maga a bit so his performances are no longer on the Vegas strip or the tonight show but on Mike Huckabee's show. You know him, right? Yeah, I remember. Face, I remember yeah.
1: Rich Little, yes, definitely. And I definitely remember Mike Huckabee. <laughs> a home run and a triple. <laughs> a first baseman's glove, a catcher's glove, and Dolly Parton.
0: Name two big hits, two big myths. <laughs> Okay, here's how Sophia's dream went down. She was sitting in the living room. The clock struck nine. Sal, in his Saturday fedora, came up to her and said, Sophia, you can come now. There's room for you now. You'd think Sophia would know by now that Dorothy will always have a follow-up question. In this case, she's wondering if that was the extent of the death dream. Annoyed, Sophia inquires if Dorothy would be satisfied if, in the dream, Barbara Eden, the titular genie to be dreamt of, and the All-American College football team were also there. The AACFT is basically the best of the best playing head-to-head, or something sports-like. Besides, it's not like her dream had the special guest accolades of a Bob Hope special.
1: It's been the introduction of the Associated Press All-America Football Team. And this year, these talented young athletes have given us one of the most exciting seasons in collegiate history. Let's start with the defensive team. Beyond primetime Sanders, cornerback, Florida State University. This kid will intercept anything in the air. During the offseason, he goes duck hunting with his bare hands. I've seen shopping centers smaller than this. How about this guy? He's got his own zip code. Let me tell you, after this guy tackles you, you want to feel pain
0: the only proof you have that you're still alive. There they are, the All-American team of 1988, ladies and gentlemen. So because of this, Sophia is requesting Dorothy not make any plans for Saturday night around 9 p.m., which is silly for her to say because it's not like Dorothy had any plans for a Saturday night. Coco, I know you are a vivid dreamer. Have you ever died in a dream or come close to? Yes, (gasps) Yes, <gasps> or had a death dream. I guess she didn't die in her dream; she was being foretold.
1: I've died in a lot of dreams, I think, but one I remember specifically from when I was a teenager. Also, I apologize for my voice and anything that happens with it in here thereof <laughs> in perpetuity. <laughs> I had a dream when I think I think it was in high school, maybe, and I was at my grandfather's house, and he was a hoarder, and but it was a lovely hoarder house. It was really fun when I was a kid smelled great but I had a dream that I was in that house in the front room for some reason yeah I like walked into a room and someone just had a gun kind of like a (gasps) like a gunslinger's kind of and like whipped it out boom 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 and shot me oh my gosh and I fell I fell down and I was like I am dying I'm dying and then I I died in my dream but I was still like oh I'm dead and uh and then I woke up yeah it was a good one
0: wow how long ago was that? I was
1: a teenager, I think.
0: I think I was Whoa. in high school, 15 years
1: old, maybe 16. It was weird. Yeah. That's intense. But I found just I don't know if that was last year that the that I can like also get out of a dream. I had a very scary dream where I was in downtown Vancouver, Washington, <laughs> which is scary. Very scary. But it was very foggy, and I was walking on the streets and I heard a monster or a zombie or something behind me, and I was so scared and in my dream i just crossed my arms over my chest going to do like a safety jump and i just jumped backwards and and fell into reality <laughs> i woke i woke from it it was great have you had a death dream
0: no, I've only had one dream ever that I fell that I, I think I was falling off like the roof of a building. And I was taking and it was during a nap in the afternoon, which tends to be like my most vivid dreams. And I rolled off the couch. That was very scary because I actually oh, fell. Yeah. So I think the dream took place in just like that millisecond that my body started to go over. And then, uh, you know, I hit the ground and woke up. How do you go to bed dead? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, three. You just made a fact. Mice? I thought she had rats. No, rats are outside. Mice are inside. Yo, but what if a mouse goes outside? Does it become a rat? And if a rat is in the house, is it a mouse? I ain't never seen no mouse outside. That's what I'm saying. That's because it's a rat, fool. Hey, you might have just made a fact just now. That's some real s***. Carrying another basket of colorful flowers, Dorothy leaves the kitchen and places them on the sofa table. Along the way, she passes Blanche, who is powdering her nose while dressed in an all-cream skirt and peplum top. As Dorothy says, she is looking beautiful, so what's the special occasion? Why, Blanche's brother is coming to Miami for a visit. It's customary for Blanche and Clayton, her brother, to be dressed up for company, just as it's customary for guests to be greeted with a welcome mat at the front door, as the now-present in pink with her fabulously long light blue and floral cardigan, Rose, has suggested. When Blanche reminds her that they don't own a welcome mat— Rose suggests they grab the one Dorothy has said lays at the end of Blanche's bed. Ah! It seems in that moment, Rose partially realizes what she's just said as she turns away from the deadly glare Blanche is shooting at her. Unfazed is Dorothy, who happily receives the sneer before looking back to her magazine. There's no time for an argument because the doorbell is ringing and Clayton is here. Before she opens the door, Blanche reminds the girls to just be cool and not bring up his very recent divorce. But later she says it was two years ago, so I feel like he should be able to talk about it at that point. And they don't really end up
1: getting into that too much, do they?
0: They never talk. He kind of mentions it um, to Rose, where she's like, you were married. And he's like, yeah, and then it ended. So that's kind of the extent of
1: it. Having seen the episode today, I think I know what may have Cause the marriage to happen.
0: <laughs> I think yes I, I think <laughs> well and that with Blanche telling the girls that it makes me think that Clayton doesn't want to talk about it because oh, sure. it would lead to that because he was probably honest with his wife and said this is what's happening so he's probably told Blanche like I don't want to talk about it
1: It's too painful. Yeah,
0: that kind of thing. So she's extra protective of it when really he's protecting her from the conversation he doesn't want to have.
1: Definitely a different time for this sort of conversation. Yeah. Dicey.
0: (laughs) Swinging the door open, Clayton, wearing a fancy suit, is greeted with a baby brother and a big hug. After the two exchange what can only be called southern flatteries involving peach trees, dewy mornings, rosy cheeks, and September hoedowns, Dorothy wonders aloud if they maybe had a maid named Honeybee when they were children. I looked that up and I didn't see anything related to that specifically, so I think Dorothy is just being, you know, Dorothy. The joke! Meeting the girls, Rose inquires about Clayton's travels. The trip went by flawlessly, which has Blanche thinking that means he met a stewardess or flight attendant that he liked, which he did. And they've made plans for dinner. No wonder their niece was as busy as she was when she came to town. Good Lord, Devereaux. Can't you guys just like hang out with each other? I feel like that would be weird to go visit family and be like, see ya. I have a date with someone I just met. You're in a a town that's not your hometown. And you're meeting people that are probably not based there, if you're meeting flight attendants or whoever, very noncommittal across the board. Even if they live there, you're like, well, I don't. So I think that's part of the appeal for them.
1: Sounds naughty and I like it. (laughs) And you're nasty for thinking of it. (laughs) And I like that too. Happy birthday. Thank you.
0: In this episode, Clayton is portraying a 45-year-old, when in reality... What?
1: (laughs) Excuse me? I I was really surprised when later she calls Rose a cradle robber or whatever, because I was like, they look pretty much the same age. That is shocking. I did not know that. I'm sorry for screaming. No,
0: that's okay. Holy crap. Well, Uh, in reality... Monty Markham, which sounds like a radio DJ name, the actor that was playing him, he was 53. But maybe he learned about lying about his age from his sister.
1: Yeah, who is just, she says she's a little bit north of 35, right? (laughs) Right.
0: (laughs) Monty Markham has been married to his wife, Claire Markham, since 1961, He has worked as a producer on Boneyard, The Secret Life of Machines, and was a producer and photographer for A&E's The Great Ships, which Monty was a director of. As for his career, besides his multiple appearances as Clayton, he has been on stage, screen, and behind the scenes since the mid-60s, earning a combined nearly 200 credits. Besides biography, for which he also did some narration, he did direct some Baywatch episodes, TV movies, and more. His production credits pair with his directing. His stage career started in the famous Oregon Shakespeare Festival, which is just south of us in Ashland. He has also appeared on Broadway, winning the Theater World Award for Irene and Same Time Next Year. I hope Monty and Doug Cox, Sven from the Yokel Hero episode, chatted about their Golden Girls connection when they both appeared in the same sketch on I Think You Should Leave. You got a Johnny Carson impersonator that is so funny. This is so random. Wow! Oh, my God.
1: Johnny Carson just
0: f***ing <laughs> hit me. Your friend paid for him to be here as a joke at a low, low, low price point. And at that price point, at Stable of Stars, he can
1: hit. Wild. Wild. Johnny, go all around. Uh, go to other people. Don't just go to them. Move, move, go, move, go around.
0: Oh. His screen and voice work career includes credits on Fringe, Megamind, Cold Case, Fallout, New Vegas, Diagnosis Murder, Star Trek, Deep Space Nine, Grace Under Fire, Melrose Place, 42 episodes of Baywatch, Hotel, The Eighteen, The Love Boat, Heart to Heart, Hawaii Five-0, Mission Impossible, Mary Tyler Moore, and Love American Style. I think I'm falling in love with you. Oh, don't fall in love with me. I'm no good. No la la. No la la, but he's in that movie you like, which is called What Now?
1: Oh, we are still here. Yes. Yeah, That's a good one. It's it's slow. It's a slow Very horror movie. Very slow. But it stars Barbara Crampton, and it's pretty spooky if you can get past the fact that it's a little boring. <laughs> but the But so. Barbara
0: Crampton. And uh, Mr. Markham. Queen of all queens, along with Monty. That's a good pairing. It's
1: it's cool. It's a a different kind of role than you're going to watch in this Golden Girls episode. Yes. Far different. (laughs) Is he still working? Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. That was 40 years ago, right? 36
0: years ago? This episode? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Damn, Monty.
1: (laughs) Making everyone else look bad.
0: Don't fall in love with me. I'm no good. Grabbing his luggage, Blanche starts to escort Clayton to his room, where she'll tell him all of the plans she has laid out for his visit. Gentlemanly excusing himself, Clayton is gone, leaving Rose and Dorothy on the couch to share thoughts about their own sibling relationships. Dorothy always wanted to be close to her brother Phil. They never really had that kind of relationship, although she did like that she could borrow his clothes when they were younger. It's late that night, or maybe the next day, and Dorothy is coming home from what appear to be evening adventures. She's wearing a long, tan, kind of jumper skirt dress thing over a white blouse, all of which is covered by a long yellow and black plaid shirt. Coming in the door, she's surprised to find her mother, in a blue house dress, sitting on the couch in the dark. She's not there to celebrate what appears to be her daughter's social life, to low 10 like Magic Johnson, or to save electricity. It turns out she's sitting there so she can go over some important personal documents with Dorothy before Saturday, when she'll be too dead to do it. The items aren't too exciting, just some stocks, a bank book, etc. Before they can get too deep into the shoebox, Blanche in her pepto-pink flowy ensemble and Clayton in a taupe-ish suit have entered the room or as Sophia refers to them, Roy and Dale, as in Roy Rogers and Dale Evans, the famous country couple we discussed way back at the end of season one. There's no telling what time it is. Dorothy just got home, the lights were off and it's dark out, but now Blanche and Clayton are headed out for the night. Maybe it's winter and the sun is setting early? Sophia quickly excuses herself, only after Blanche caught a glimpse of her silver locket in Sophia's treasure box. Telling Blanche and Gomer, as in Gomer from Mayberry, as in Mayberry from The Andy Griffith Show, Sophia is gone. With a surprise for her brother, Blanche has set him up on a date. She doesn't want him, especially at his age, you know, north of 45, to just sit around. Why, both she and Dorothy can attest to how exciting it is to get back into the dating scene. Blanche is always going out and about, and Dorothy is always watching her, sometimes through the kitchen window, and not just because it has a better view of the moon so she can howl at it. Oh, that doorbell means Clayton's date is here. I guess he didn't hit it off with that flight attendant? Hold the phone. Where did this huge peephole come from on the door? And where did it go in future episodes? It it disappears? I believe it's gone by the next one. I haven't looked ahead to uh, refresh my memory, but I think... It's there just for the joke at the end, so it is worth it because they ask so they ask Rose to look out the the peephole to see who's there. That's a killer joke. that's a great I'll, joke. It's real good. <laughs> so it's worth it, yeah, it's worth the random peephole for the great joke later.
1: I wonder at what height that peephole is
0: <laughs> compared to ours compared to ours, which is inc- <laughs>
1: incredibly low because of your tiny mother.
0: My mom put in the peephole like a hundred years ago. And it was a very big deal because you had to, you know, drill through the metal door. It was very exciting. But yes, she did put it to her, which makes sense. You need it at your height so you can see. But at five foot, that's a low people. And your dad is so tall. Yeah. Well, it's easier for us to lean down than for a short person to like, hold on. Let me grab the stool to be able to see who's here.
1: I feel like she could open the door and people wouldn't see her.
0: (laughs) They just look over her head. Hello? Hi there, Hello. little Hello, is anyone here? Is Hello? your
1: mommy home? <laughs> She's actually orphaning you.
0: <laughs> First kill. <laughs> Lois Lehmans, who Blanche knows through the museum, is here to go out with Clayton and catch a concert in the park. Lois is being played by Nancy Pretty. Acting since 1970, she has appeared in Mayberry RFD, Bewitched, Days of Our Lives, Cannon, The Waltons, Matlock, Highway to Heaven, Divorce Court, Santa Barbara, The Young and the Restless, Jaws of Stan, I'm sorry, Jaws of Satan, The Aliens Are Coming, The Ropers, Quincy Emmy, Barnaby Jones, Dallas, and Step by Step. She's a real nepo mommy as she appeared in Married with Children, The Sweetest Thing, and Bad Moms because she is the real mom of Christina Applegate. So how
1: do you avoid the pitfalls, I guess, of some of your peers? Because you've been in it just as long.
0: I think my my mom had a lot to do with it. My growing up had a lot to do with it. It's kind of becoming aware of myself at an early age, mm-hmm. you know. Going to therapy at an early age, I think, had a lot to do with it. I don't know. I think that's why. And she's she's not one of those kind of stage mother type yeah. people either. She's she's a really neat lady. Yeah. And I think that's why, because it was just me and her, basically. Yeah. And it, that that I think that's what. Uh, why now I can say that I think I'm okay. Yeah. After shooing her brother out the door, Blanche is quite pleased with herself. Laughing off the awkward situation, Dorothy shares how blind dating was never really her thing. Hearing that someone needs help with dating has sent off a Blanche signal, and she is ready with a surefire pickup. Putting a pillow on the couch next to Dorothy for height assistance, Blanche assures her that not only will this work, but she will turn any man into putty. Dorothy tries to play it off at first, laughing at how silly it all is, but hearing putty was just too exciting, so she's back next to Blanche, ready to learn. Sitting at the pretend movies, Blanche pulls the whole yawning and reaching the arms over the shoulder move. Yeah, that part is old news. But what really brings home the hotness is the blowing on the earlobe. Not afraid to arouse her friend, Blanche then blows on Dorothy's ear, or at least the hair surrounding it, for a good 30 seconds. It doesn't appear Dorothy is feeling the effects when Sophia, mere hours from death, walks in on their experimental lesson. She's annoyed her daughter couldn't wait just one more day to come out of the closet. Not that she's homophobic, but she is Catholic. Boy, howdy, it's a new location. We're at what looks to be a waterfront straight out of a soap opera with walkways, flower beds, Rose and Clayton, who are delightfully surprised to have run into each other. I'm delighted by how 80s everyone's fashion is. Just look at those light denim mom jeans in the back. Looking more adorable than she has any right to, Rose is in a white blouse with mint pants and a matching jacket, whose collar is sassily popped. She's headed home as it was her one late night to work at the grief center. Clayton is there because his date was a bust. The issue with the date was, more than anything, that Blanche set it up. Not surprisingly, she has never bothered to learn about what Clayton's type was, which always helps when you're setting people up on dates. Coco, have you ever set anyone up on a date or, like, tried to do some matchmaking in any way? I haven't. Have you been matchmade?
1: Yeah, (gasps) actually, yeah, with my ex-wife. El... Oh yeah, that's
0: true. Yeah. The bartender, right? Yeah,
1: my friend uh, Amanda, rest in peace. Yeah. Love you Amanda. Uh yeah, she introduced me to my now ex-wife, my future ex-wife, now my <laughs> current ex-wife and always ex-wife.
0: But that did work out somewhat. I mean, she she there was a lot she of... read it. She read you guys oh, and was she like, was right. ah, yeah. hey.
1: For yeah, for 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 better or worse." <laughs> she sure did. <laughs> she she could see that there was uh, yeah. So, that's cool. So yes, uh, I think that's the only time. Actually, not true. My, uh, my. I think we talked about maybe
0: when your old lady girlfriend. That was a setup as well. Yeah.
1: <gasps> yeah. Who? My friend. She was my friend's hairstylist, <sighs> and so she was like. And she
0: wasn't like, "Hey, you guys are like twenty-two years apart in age." She was, yeah. <laughs> she
1: was like, she was like, Josh, go in for a haircut, and ask her out. Oh my! And then gosh. she was like, "Yep." <laughs>
0: Uh, that's really fun I didn't know that so yeah been set up been set up Rose on the other hand feels confident she can figure out Clayton's type and to prove it she says that if they have a seat and people watch even for just a minute she'll figure it out Clayton is up for the challenge so they have a seat right away Rose is stuck not on figuring him out but on the gum someone left on the bench ew
1: gum goof
0: (laughs) choo -choo. (laughs) As part of the experiment, Rose asks Clayton to share his honest reactions towards the people walking by. The first lady passes. He doesn't really say anything. Rose is certain this is due to the woman's slim figure. Then comes another young lady in a pleated skirt. Clayton's silence is deafening. She must be too short. Then from the background comes a young man. His Canadian tuxedo is too hard for Clayton to resist, so with a sly smirk, raised eyebrow and adjustment of his seat, his interest is shown to be piqued. Laughing his response off, Rose reminds him that that's a man, and and he's a man. Clayton continues to be unfazed by her reaction, staring and smiling, until Rose gets the hint. With a soft laugh that just needs an, oh god, I wish I was dead, Rose slowly starts to realize that yes, Clayton is that thing Olga Larson's nephew was. No, not a snappy dresser in paisley clogs who gives out puff pastries to trick-or-treaters, but that other thing. Clayton isn't sure if he should confirm his sexuality via those terms, so he clears things up. Yeah, I'm gay. And yes, he was married, but now that he's 45, he couldn't hide his true self any longer. Even though he had been brave enough to tell his wife and end his marriage, he still can't bring himself to come out to his sister. Sure, Clayton has wanted to tell her, and he's tried, but every time he gets close to doing so, he gets too scared. Rose understands his fear and even confirms that, yeah, she'll probably be upset, but in the end, being honest and showing his true self will only make their bond tighter. By some miracle, Clayton is still seeking Rose's advice, so he asks her how to find the courage to come out. She suggests he do it when they get home that night, while he still has his dander up. According to Grammarist.com, to get one's dander up means to be angry enough to fight literally or figuratively. It's believed it came from raising one's hackles like the hair on the back of a cat, which also means to get angry. And it's related to the dandruff that would result from being upset. The other origin could have been in relation to the froth from brewing yeast, which was called dander. I'm not quite sure why Clayton has a miffed reaction to this. I didn't see anything about it being a term against being gay or anything like that. I can only think that, you know, the term being a dandy was used against homosexuals. So maybe the dandy-dander relation or it's just weird timing. I can't decide. But maybe it wasn't anything and they were just letting the audience get their giggles out while Clayton contemplated her words. He quickly realizes she's right. He needs to say something or it's just going to continue to be an issue in their relationship. Before he tells her he's gay, he might want to start by confessing that it was he who stole her Montgomery Clift poster off the wall when she moved out for school. Montgomery Clift was a television movie and theater actor. He was best known for A Place in the Sun and that steamy beach scene in From Here to Eternity. While he was linked to famous ladies, he wouldn't have minded being on Clayton's wall if you catch my drift. Back at the house, Dorothy and Blanche have changed into their evening wear, nightgowns and robes, and are mindlessly staring at the television. An all-blue Blanche looks to be on the verge of disgust as water-colored blue and pink Dorothy is getting her own dander up as she clicks the remote, hoping, as we all do, to find something that might be enjoyable to watch. Coming out from the hallway is Sophia, still in her house dress. Dorothy is surprised to see her up and asks what she's doing. Lucky for her, someone left the lock undone on her cage and she was able to sneak out. In reality, she's stressed about her death dream, so she couldn't sleep. Blanche's reason for being up is that she's staying up to check in with Clayton to see how his night was, with them being so close and all. Finally coming in the door, Clayton is surprised to see everyone is awake, a part of him probably hoped they had all been asleep and he could just deal with his dander in the morning. With it being whatever late hour it is, Blanche makes the assumption he had a great time with Lori, Lois, Linda, that date of his. When Rose follows him in, the girls are shocked to see them together. That's when they explain what happened. Rose starts. They just so happened to find each other at the park. As for the date, the two of them just didn't hit it off. Standing by Clayton's side with a huge smile, Rose is showing such kindness here. She's supporting him through everything he's going through, and it really warms my heart. She's like, this is difficult and scary, and I'm right here by your side. Finally, the counseling center has paid off. (laughs) Hearing that Clayton and that gal just weren't suited for each other, Blanche takes a stand, literally and figuratively. She has had it. It's time for Clayton to be with a lady, and it's enough with that whole not-clicking business. With a nod and a smile, Rose urges Clayton to just say it. Tell the girls what's going on. Looking at Blanche's face of concern and Rose's smile, Clayton changes his plan. Telling most of the truth, he starts with how the two of them met, and they sat and they talked. Then he veers off course and blurts out, We slept together, before walking to his room. The shockwaves of that announcement take a moment to get to everyone, but when they do, oh boy, is it hilarious. Rose's supportive smile stays on her face for about two and a half seconds before she realizes what he's said. Blanche's eyebrows look like they're going to slice Rose into bits. Sophia looks, well, fantastic. What a moment. It's now Saturday morning, Sophia's last day of life. ha! <laughs> Entering the kitchen, where a purple floral sweater-wearing Dorothy is already enjoying a beverage at the table, Sophia has news to share. She has decided she doesn't want Dorothy to worry about her burial plans. Not because she doesn't think she's dying, but she's decided to get cremated. This is a surprising turn, as the Catholic Church didn't even allow cremation until 1963. Being a new rule, as it had been allowed less than 30 years before this episode, You'd think she wouldn't mess with something like that. On the plus side, when she's cremated, all of her children can have a piece of her. Well, maybe just Phil and Dorothy. Gloria has enough, and Sophia doesn't want to be spread too thin. Coming into the kitchen, dressed in a three-piece sky-blue lady suit, is Rose, and she's distraught. Since hearing about Clayton, Blanche has been giving Rose mean looks. She knows she's dandered up about them sleeping together. Dorothy supports Rose so nicely here. She doesn't blame her for sleeping with one of their brothers. Instead, she proclaims that whatever Rose and Clayton did is between them, and Blanche doesn't get a say in Rose's sex life. Therein lies the problem, though. Nothing happened between them, so she's in trouble for something she didn't do. This is too confusing for Dorothy. Why would Clayton start such drama between the girls if that didn't happen? To answer her, Rose hints at the fact that Clayton has a secret he's hiding— she then whispers the secret, which is not hers to share, to Dorothy. Sophia leans in, hoping the words will pass through Dorothy's ears, only to be pushed away. Rose must have been too quiet because Dorothy is left wondering why it would be a big deal that Clayton was a hobo. First of all, hobo is an oh boy that may have originated from the term ho boy. This, from NSA.gov, was due to many migrant workers traveling with a ho like the garden tool. It is also possible the word came from hello boy, which became low boy, then lobo, into hobo. It could also be related to the frontiersman term, hoosier. While those who ride the trains and consider themselves hobos don't mind the term, it's the broad use to describe a transient or houseless person that brings in the oh boy factor.
1: Once I built a railroad Now with-
0: It's also a bit of an oh boy that Rose chose to use the term Clayton is a homo. That was used much more commonly in the 80s and 90s, but now that's a no-no. I think she just kind of knew it as that. Like, I, I don't take any... And it's just for the joke. It is the joke. It's just to get to hobo, and they know they don't ever say it. Like no one ever calls him that.
1: I was looking at Monty Markham's filmography while you were going through. Oh it, yeah, and I saw that he was in an episode of The Littlest Hobo, <gasps> which is
0: Clayton is a hobo. You see, he which is a sh-
1: <laughs> the Littlest Hobo is a. Have we talked about this? It's a Canadian I don't drama, think so. a Canadian drama from the 1970s or well, 1979 about a homeless dog that helps solve tough problems.
0: It was a show?
1: Yeah, it was on for a long time. So it was
0: like lassie, but grungy? Yeah,
1: it was from 79 to 85.
0: Wow. Six seasons? French title, Le
1: Vagabond.
0: Oh. That's cute. That's much Oh, cuter. based
1: upon a 1958 well-known film of the same name.
0: Wow. Clayton is a hobo. The
1: concept of the show was that of an ownerless dog. That's all it says.
0: Oh. <laughs> the end. Guys, I got Helping this idea. People. What if we have a dog that uh, doesn't have an owner?
1: I, anytime any chance I get to talk about that show I've never seen. <laughs> I'm just I am like I am fascinated with the, with that show. And people were like <laughs> tuning in to watch a dog help people oh, with problems. Boy. Yeah, but we got to watch one. I guess that's what Lassie was up to, but he was more of like um Like an action dog, right? Yeah, he was like, like,
0: hey, there's stuff going down. Get over here.
1: This guy's like bringing a couple together to talk about their marriage or something. (laughs) I'm guessing. Stopping heists.
0: Yeah. Thankfully, with another louder, clearer whisper, Dorothy has the answer. This is a huge relief to Rose, who is worried that the only other way to describe it would be to draw a picture. Not that it would help. She's not even sure she would know what to draw. Wanting to be in on the secret, Sophia asks if she gets to know. Dorothy denies her request. That's fine for Sophia. No one can keep a secret from her. In fact, she can figure out his secret by asking him just three questions. Right on cue, Clayton comes into the kitchen. Question one, how do you feel about the weather? It's lovely. Question two, have you ever been to Europe? No, but he's always wanted to. Question three. How many fingers am I holding up? He gives the correct answer of two. Clayton came into the kitchen for a beverage, but perhaps he was wanting to stay and chat with the girls. Too bad if he did because Sophia has now excused him back to the living room. With a nod, he sees his way out. Turning back to her daughter, Sophia has the answer. The man's as gay as a picnic basket, which is met with uproarious laughter from the audience and a look of shock from her daughter. It hadn't been those three questions that outed Clayton. It was that earlier in the day, Sophia heard him singing in the shower. She's never known a man that knew all the words to the 1973 Stephen Sondheim song, Send in the Clowns, which had been written for the musical A Little Night Music. Coco, you and I know that song, but probably only from the Simpsons episode, Krusty Gets Cancelled. Send in the Clowns. Send
1: in those soulful and doleful schmaltz by the bowlful clowns. Send in the clowns. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't know what that reference was in The Simpsons until much later in life. I think um, I knew
0: the song. Like I feel like that song is much more famous than the musical. Yeah, well
1: I want did did Jerry if I, I associate it with Jerry Lewis for some reason? I don't know why. Oh. I don't know if he's if he did perform it at his uh telethon or in or in that movie where he was a clown. Do you know about that movie called The Day the Clown Cried? No. This is one of those notorious Hollywood movies that is like, vanished. oh,
0: yeah, it came up on uh wikipedia yeah the first he's
1: thing. He, it's basically like that movie, um uh maybe life is beautiful or Jacob the Liar, anyways, he's basically like a clown at a at a concentration camp, yeah, World that's what I'm reading and he he's the one that leads he like entertains the children and the people, and, and then he like leads them into the gas chamber, yeah. And he made it and it's what it's like kind of like um his attempt to I don't know what, but it's like kind of a comedy, I think. Wow. People didn't like it. And he was like, oh, yeah, I messed up. Let's get those back. Lock them down. And it's like, wow. you can't I think we can't watch it until. Is he dead? It, did, did Jerry Lewis die? Yes. I think it's like after he's gone, there's there was supposed to be like, oh, we can, we can see it now, I think. It
0: says, Lewis repeatedly insisted that The Day the Clown Cried would never be released. This is from Wikipedia. Oh, fun. Okay. But later donated an incomplete copy of the film to the Library of Congress in 2015 under the stipulation that it was not to be screened before June 2024. <gasps> According to Lewis's son, there is no complete negative of the film and... Uh, outstanding copyright issues have prevented the release. So next year. Did Send in the Clowns have anything to do with that movie? No, but it does look like he did sing it quite often on his um on his telephone. Oh okay. Yeah. And I there's one where oh boy It
1: uh it what didn't go well?
0: Well, it's just uh, they've got um, hmm, what you would say is maybe traditional hobo makeup. They're like hobo clowns with the big oh yeah, the big dark beard, but it's a lot of dark on a lot of their face. Oh, here. You
1: want to hear the theme song to the Littlest Hobo?
0: Absolutely.
1: Uh, this is called Maybe Tomorrow.
0: I find adventure everywhere. And friends with whom I like to share this is my stop along the way don't really know how long I
1: stay I gotta find out about this little hobo Wow <laughs> it's very sweet the dog at least in this version was named London it oh. says starring London that's cool you get the that the dog gets top billing he is the they are the star
0: well train uh, dog trainer Charles. Eisen, Eisenman, he trained both the dogs for the 60s series and the 80s
1: series. Wow. Oh, yeah. This song is from the, I guess, the revival. Vagoda.
0: He was a guest. John Carradine, Leslie Nielsen, Anne Francis, Mike Myers.
1: Whoa. Oh, yeah. Canadian. Canadian. Wow. Oh, my God. That's great. Well, I'm just going to look at it and see what's going on. <laughs> I mean, I just like the idea. I love doggies so much. The idea of watching a dog go on adventures yeah. and help people sounds pretty cool. Yeah, I wish I was the littlest hobo's
0: <laughs> buddy. That he crossed and your path to help just
1: you. Maybe an even little, a li- an even littlest or a <laughs> hobo.
0: <laughs> Most littlest, sitting on the couch reading a magazine, Rose spots Clayton out of the corner of her eye. She's obviously upset about that lie and that he hasn't been honest to Blanche about himself. He apologizes. Rose once again reminds him he owes Blanche an honest relationship. He may not know it, but Blanche can be kind and understanding. Just then, an all red, earrings to kitten heels, Blanche comes into the room. Seeing the two together on the couch, she is instantly sent into a rage, demanding that the empty-headed, cradle-robbing Rose gets away from her baby brother. After that verbal beating, Rose simply turns back to Clayton, starting where she left off, and other times, she can be a real bitch. I love when Rose calls people a bitch. It feels so naughty. Finally willing to speak, Clayton starts to share, only to be cut off by Blanche, who is back to being nasty to Rose, saying her hair looks like it was colorized, meaning went from black and white to color, by TBS founder and media mogul Ted Turner. This is a real burn towards Rose's hair as the coloring technique was more of a tinting and he threatened to do it and did it to some of the most beloved black and white films like Casablanca, The Maltese Falcon and notoriously horribly to Citizen Kane.
1: I think just a few days ago we learned about Ted Turner that he owns... He privately owns the biggest herd of bison in the country. Oh
0: yes, that is true. Like
1: 50,000 bison?
0: Yeah, he basically brought them back.
1: Yeah, from the from the, the verge of extinction. So
0: that's cool. He did that. I do like when eccentric people do things that inadvertently help the rest of the world. Pretty
1: good mustache, too.
0: Great mustache. Great tooth gap.
1: Look like the the logo for I don't know, like a Ice cream.
0: Mad TV, grandpa. Saloon. Or Mad Magazine, grandpa. Mad Magazine, grandpa.
1: Yeah. I hope to be a Mad Magazine grandpa someday.
0: You will. I, I believe in My little you.
1: Mad Magazine grandbabies.
0: <laughs> With Clayton coming to Rose's defense, she then gives him the butt out. She's not going to sit there and be abused by her friend when her friend doesn't even know the full story or full Monty. <laughs> yeah.
1: All right. Yeah. We may not be young. We may not be pretty. We may not be right good. <laughs> We're here, we're live, and for one night only, we're going for the full Monty. Listen, I'm going to get really nerd with you in a minute. They're cheering out there. You did that. Now get out there and do your
0: stuff. Getting in Blanche's face, Rose tells her that she's going to regret being such a bitch when the truth comes out and she has to grovel for forgiveness. This doesn't concern Blanche. She has no plans of saying she's sorry. Knowing the truth, Clayton, too, is embarrassed for Blanche. As they go back and forth, defending their own behaviors, Clayton is fully dandered up. Taking a stand, both literally and figuratively, he faces his sister and explains why he's never had a good time on any of the dates she's set him up on. Jeez Louise, how often is this guy coming to Miami, and why can't Blanche just spend time with her brother? Then, he does it. He comes out. I'm saying I'm gay, Blanche. Blanche laughs at first, asking him to be serious. Unable to face the truth, she makes more excuses. He's saying that just to get back at her or saying it to make her stop setting him up. Without a filter, Blanche's real feelings come out. They're too close for her to have not known. He's her brother. He can't be gay. Realizing she needs some time to process things, Clayton offers to leave. Before he does, Blanche asks him to look her in the eye and say it again. He won't. He's already said it. She needs to deal with it. Oh my heck, it's another new location. But we'll be back here many more times. We're at a bar where the bartender has turned on the TV to put on the game. Tina and her unnamed friend, who are sitting at the bar with their partners, are fed up with the sports, so they're going home. The guys stay behind and soon all of the men, which happen to be the only patrons in the bar, are gathered around to watch the balls get played with. Sharon Howard, playing Woman, also appeared in Permanent Record, Mr. Belvedere, and Grumpy Old Men among her nine credits before passing away in 2010. Daryl Ferriera, playing Man, was a casual actor appearing in Freaky Links, Hill Street Blues, Off the Rack, Magnum P.I., The Land of Tinderee, and General Hospital. I guess the girls live in a quiet part of Miami as Blanche was able to pretty easily track Clayton down at this bar, the one he claimed he and Rose went to the night before where he's sitting at a table all alone. Clayton is surprised to see Blanche there and happy to have her sit with him. Enjoying some popcorn at the table, Blanche is reminded of the time she and Clayton ended up parked next to each other at the drive-in movie. They were soon racing to see who could fog up their windows first. Okay, I'm not saying that I have the healthiest boundaries with my brother, but that is a game I would not play. Could you imagine you and Amy pull up next to each other at the drive in and you're like, hey, I
1: can't I don't I cannot. My mind doesn't like can't even go to that. <sighs>
0: like not only around, are you fogging up your window, but then you're looking over to being like, oh, good. There, they are just getting all are too. too. I mean,
1: I know why I know where the fog comes from. <laughs> we all know where the fog comes I from. I know
0: where the fog comes from.
1: And you don't want to think about no anyone you're related to no doing that no
0: <laughs> a rump
1: Ha rump
0: when Blanche tells Clayton he won, he takes the point, but commends her for how well she did for being in a convertible, which also means like, you could see what she was doing, you know, if he's looking over to a convertible with the front window getting foggy, I think maybe they
1: had um some sort of Love making tarp over the over the <laughs> Yeah. There's um I guess it's just it's it was a um it, that's not okay. <laughs> and weird and like how it could has you in even, a tizzy. Well, just how could your mind even go to this place when not well, they're southern? By their own admission.
0: <laughs> Using that moment as an example, Blanche just can't square that behavior with his proclamation of being gay. Well, she's going to need to. It wasn't Clayton and his date fogging up the car. It had been his heater. As Blanche continues to process everything, the waiter arrives. Calling her sweetheart, she quickly comes to her brother's defense, not realizing that she was the sweetheart. Stephen M. Porter is back as a waiter. We haven't seen him since season three, episode 20, when Ma made three, and he again appeared as a waiter.
1: Does this ring a bell? I'm not wearing underwear you've grown i'm growing right now girl just looking at you that is the one and only time i've ever done it on a
0: roller coaster blanche's flustered behavior is coming from her feeling like she doesn't know who her brother is anymore but he promises he's the same man she's always known and that they are still alike they're both great looking they're both charming and they're both irresistible to men Before Blanche can get lost in a spiral of anxiety and confusion, Clayton stops her. He was hiding that secret for a long time from everyone, and it hurt. He feels better now that it's out and that he can be honest with his sister. He wanted to share this to be closer, not to hurt their relationship. Realizing her behavior has him feeling unsure of where they stand, Blanche gets with it. Of course they'll still be friends. Just look at her now. She's mostly comfortable in a gay bar. He corrects her, but she won't have it. She wants full honesty between them. To show just how supportive she is, she takes a stand, both literally and figuratively. Getting the attention from the men staring at balls, Blanche proclaims that she would be totally fine with any of them dating her brother.
1: Was there a Miami basketball team back then? Mm. Is there one now? Well, there's Miami Heat, heat,
0: but I think they were later. Yeah, I think so, too. Oh, Miami Heat was established that year, 1988. So it could have been one of the first Miami Heat games.
1: I'm gonna say it is, and I'm gonna find, I'm gonna find a recording of that you first do it.
0: Miami you Heat do home that. game. Do it. In the fall of 1988, the first Heat team was built from scratch and comprised of six inexperienced rookies and six grizzled veterans nearing the end of their careers. They would blend together to create the Miami Heat's inaugural team. When one of the men shouts back that he would rather date her, she's elated. She has magically converted a gay man straight. Ah, what an 80s and 90s joke. Okay, let's talk about that guy at the bar for a second. His wife and/or girlfriend just left and said, see you at home, implying that they live together. Yet he is the first one to not only want to date Blanche, but he also gives her like a nasty little wink. What a dirtbag. Back at the house, Dorothy is on the couch reading a magazine when Ellen comes bursting in the front door. for Pete's sake, look me in the eye. Are you being lesbians together? Mother! Oh, wait, it's the Devereaux's. To celebrate Clayton's last night in town, they want to go out to dinner. Blanche is thinking they could go to that Mexican place with the good food and the tight pant-wearing staff. Who wants some man meat? I do. I want some man meat. Well, then my man
1: meat he shall have.
0: When Clayton lights up at the idea of man buns and tight pants, Blanche changes her suggestion. She's just not quite ready for that yet. Coming to the kitchen, Sophia, now wearing her dark blue dress and turquoise cardigan, is counting down the last ten seconds of her life. Dorothy is sick of it. As the seconds pass, she is certain the doorbell will not ring, there will be no Sal, you are not going to die. When the doorbell does ring, Dorothy is quickly converted into believing her mother will be dying any second. Finally, the new peephole is being put to use. Trying to keep her mother safe, Dorothy asks Rose to check the door. All she can see is a fedora. When Blanche comes in and asks who's at the door, Rose turns around and classically says, it's me, Blanche, which is maybe the best joke of the episode, because there's a lot of great jokes in this episode, but that's maybe the best.
1: I cackled out loud. You did. You guffawed. It was a great joke.
0: Fed up with the rigmarole, Sophia takes things into her own hands, both literally and figuratively, and opens the door. On the other side, she finds her friend Mildred, who's wearing the lucky hat she always sports when they go bowling. Gwen E. Davis, playing Mildred, had an eight-year, 11-credit acting career. Those credits included Blank Man, Missing Persons, Generations, Downtown, Alienation, Freddy's Nightmares, Unnatural Causes, and of course, La La. When Mildred came by the house the other day, no one answered the phone or door, so she hollered through Sophia's window, saying, We have room. So it turns out, Sophia didn't dream of Sal having room in heaven. She heard Mildred yelling out about the bowling trip. From being almost dead to happy to go bowling in just seconds, Sophia gives an hasta luego and is out the door. While everyone is ready to go to dinner, Rose appears to not be interested in joining after that whole name-calling event with Blanche. Stirring her food on the stove, Rose stays silent as Blanche starts to fumble through her words and dance around an apology. No, the hardest two words for Blanche to say are not, not tonight. Without an I'm sorry or actual acknowledgement of what she did, Rose accepts Blanche's attempt at an apology. For how self-centered she is, just thinking of trying to do so is a big deal. Upset to be interrupted, Blanche then tantrums about how she had a whole speech planned and she was going to thank Rose for being so good to her brother, and now she can't say it because Rose already accepted the apology. So with a legitimate apology of her own, Rose says she's sorry, Blanche accepts, and they give each other a big hug. Coco, I would love to hear your thoughts on the episode since I know it was new for you. I just want to say that I really love and appreciate that Clayton not only opened up about having been married and that he had to have that marriage end so he could come out and live his life, but he was not a stereotypical gay guy, especially for the 80s. In this series we've seen Coco, the housekeeper in the first episode and the wedding planner from 2 weeks ago or a week ago which were both great characters, but it was like their personality was based on the fact that they were flamboyant gay men. And Clayton just represents something I don't think you saw a lot in the 80s, which is just like a person who happens to be gay. And everyone was accepting. Sophia knew already and she never said anything. I mean, I don't think calling him as gay as a picnic basket is like the nicest thing to say, but she certainly had no issue like being around him or, you know, she wasn't a mean granny about it
1: at all. Yeah, she's I feel like she's been very accepting of people. She just called it out.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think for me, her saying it like that is more like that's That's her. How can how sure she is. of Yeah, it. which I guess isn't OK with someone doesn't tell you. But
0: right to make the assumption based off that kind of stuff. But it's still light years ahead for 1988. Yes. And yeah, so the fact that everyone was, you know, Rose kind of took a moment just because people weren't as out. So it was a little bit jarring, but not like, oh, my God, you can't stay at our house or anything like that. Especially, you know, we're talking, I don't know, peak, but pretty major like in the AIDS time frame. And there was never a mention of that of like, oh, he can't be here because of, you know, that. It's important to kind of show Blanche's side as much as you in the moment don't agree with it. I know I've had a few people in my life come out and it your brain does kind of have that moment of, oh my gosh, you were hiding this thing. You know, it's more the hurt of this person didn't feel safe enough or I didn't do enough to make that person think they could tell me anything. And I think that's where Blanche's stuff comes from. My own brother had a secret that wasn't to that level but pretty big caliber secret that for me was the issue it, it wasn't so much i don't know you or whatever it was like deep down i was so crushed that i hadn't made that space for him or that he didn't feel that from me to be able to yeah, to be yeah. able to come to me for anything to be like oh i can talk to you about that i think even in in that that's more where blanche is coming from it's not that she can't accept that he's gay it's just like it's tricky and there's a lot of feelings there and a lot of layers of things and
1: in in their entire lives, yeah. so she's having to sort of re rethink all of those things, just to see them in a different in a different light.
0: And I would think transference too, for herself, of maybe, maybe for Blanche, who knows if she has this kind of humility, but to step back and go, "I'm such a fool. Here I was, like not ever asking hey, what don't you like about the dates I set you up on? Because I could change the type of person I'm looking for or who I talk to that her own arrogance kind of got in the way. So in that moment, it's like how embarrassing I've been forcing him to go on these dates he has not wanted to go on. And I never took the time to ask him what I could do different. I think it's a lot of that, too. But yeah, it's a lot. It's complicated. And I mean, obviously, it's getting easier well depending on what state you live in getting easier to feel like you have that space everywhere work home friends family public whatever to be out and and be that way it's not that it's more common it's just that more people feel like they can come out yeah I've I've had a few very close people to me that came out that were it was like maybe not shocking but like whoa I didn't see that coming you definitely have to look at your own stuff. It's never about them. It's it's the circumstances.
1: I appreciated that he was had a little like trepidation about about coming out or fear of coming out to to Blanche. Mm. But that wasn't because he's ashamed of who he is. I think at all. He's like he seemed very sure of himself and proud to be who he was. Yeah, and and that's just a good thing to portray. I feel like in the eighties they would almost have a character like begging, like asking for forgiveness or something Mm. for being that, like, sorry I'm gay. It's it was nice, yeah. Yeah, because it
0: really like with Rose he came out like immediately. They sat down and they were he wasn't like being shy about it or like no I wasn't looking at him. Okay, I'm like it wasn't pulling teeth. It really came down to, I don't want to lose my relationship with Blanche. But what relationship is there if you're not being you? Like, they say they love you, but if they don't know all of you, they can't.
1: That is really cool that he he knew that he could trust Rose. Yeah. And, I mean, he does kind of betray that trust as soon as they go home. Yeah. But, <laughs> but that is a nice moment. Yeah. He's of the age that he is to show that, too. Usually, yeah. I feel like it was often, like, young young people, young men.
0: Yeah, like, kind of first getting into the dating world like early 20s yeah no he's like i know who i am it's pretty cool it's very cool i love clayton i cannot wait for the next episode with him you're going to it's like the godfather like this episode's pretty good but the second one that's a great episode (laughs) (laughs) today's episode was brought to you by love As someone who had a friend whose husband ended their relationship because he needed to live his truth, I can tell you how heartbreaking that scenario can be. While your logical brain can understand they weren't lying, they were scared, it can still affect your view of truth and honesty. But when someone is brave enough to live their life on their terms, it isn't for the purpose of hurting you or that they haven't been hurt themselves. They're showing you another side to who they are, offering even more to love. And to love someone is to accept them for who they are and who they love. As always, thank you for listening and thank you for being a friend. Be sure to join us next week when Stan puts a ring on it in Stan Takes a Wife.
1: Littlest hobo. <laughs> walking around meeting friends check check i sound okay i sound bad i sound bad sorry i was screaming at my mother and to a pillow (laughs) oh that's too loud for me cackle cackle all right you ready yes (laughs) yeah i'm ready yes i'm ready i sound sick but i sound sick but i'm not yeah the only sick thing about me are my skateboard tricks.
0: <laughs>
1: I love you. Happy birthday. Oh, thank you. Oh, my God. It's your birthday. <laughs> I hope that comes up. It's your birthday, <laughs> Mitch. And funny. you're falling years your <laughs> old. Look at you. Ow. <laughs> she used to look good to me, but now I find her.
0: Oh, you got a nice little raspy voice. Simply irresistible. <laughs> I don't have a bra on, so I'm over here dancing for you.
1: Thank you. With bright red, sticky-looking lips. That's right. The and a, and a guitar that's not even plugged in, probably, right? Yeah, definitely Fake, not. it's full of air.
0: I. That's a good pop-up video. They talk about that Robert stuff. Palmer. I bet that lipstick was so stinky. We got shark liver. We got all sorts of sick stuff in here. Yeah,
1: otter pops.
0: <laughs> yeah, some sort of gland.
1: Yeah, that's what I meant by pops. I didn't want to say anything <laughs> too gross, but yeah, <laughs> the otter pops are the insides. That's right. I'm sorry I screamed at your age, Monty. I just knew you weren't 45.
0: You know what I'm talking about I though. Do, when yeah. she's standing at the oh sink. Oh my God! Yeah, what was that called? It was called the wicked. <laughs> the oh dark. yeah.
1: I think The Dark and the Wicked. Yeah, The Dark and the yeah, Wicked. Yeah,
0: that was good.
1: But, uh, prepare yourselves if you're going to
0: watch that. <laughs> I probably won't leave that in there. Uh, yikes. It's not related. But not related. That's a good one. Ah. <laughs> it's Dark and Wicked. Oh,
1: God, those fingers. I think I have that on D- on Blu-ray for Ooh, some crazy reason. That's fun. Got to watch that for Halloween. Mm-hmm. sick on those fingers.
0: <laughs> Sophia quickly exc- Excuses herself. Exqueezes. <laughs> white blouse with mint plants. Plants? Hello? Two, Rose is in a white blouse with mint plants. Oh my gosh. No, not a snappy dresser in Paisley Clogs who gives out pus, pa- pus pastries. Ew. Ew.
1: <laughs> What's wrong with you? You've gone crazy. You're 40.
0: At I'm 40. Look birthday. out. Birthday. I'm in my 40s. Ah, I'm in my 40s. 'Cause I know you're probably be like, Oh, you just said that? In a helpful uh, oh, in a, oh, in a oh, helpful oh. way. Oh would I. In a helpful Is way. That how I would in say a helpful it? way. In a helpful way. Yeah. In a helpful way again. <laughs> oh. Oh. I just knew I'd get to that line and you'd did go you say literally? and you'd go click. That's oh, you uh, just said that in another uh, sentence. And I'd be like, Oh no, I know. So if I tell you ahead of time. Uh, <laughs> <all right. No laughs> you can't talk to me like that, it's my birthday.
1: Oh, I forgot. <laughs> I take it all back. And I liked what you said. Thank, thank you.
0: Mm. Right? Mm. What? I don't know.
1: I don't know. What did?
0: Damn, my mouth is wet.
1: Too bad it's not my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> hobo goof.
0: We could use a little hobo the way you and I are having our scream therapy sessions. Why we don't have voices. We need a little hobo to help us.
1: Yeah, I was uh, screaming so hard yesterday. And, I'm still
0: recovering, and that was five days ago. So, yeah, yeah you're probably very tired.
1: Yeah. Real <laughs> tired. Fish. What? He was on the show Fish. Oh. In the he played. <laughs> he was the titular fish. How long ago did we talk about Mr. Belvedere's balls?
0: <laughs> Two or three episodes ago.
1: I heard he didn't have much of a boner
0: about anything. Heyo, <laughs> Dork Dorky. The littlest home Always Be My Sisters is written, hosted and created by Alicia Holland, produced and edited by Josh McCullough. Always Be My Sisters is a Cascade media production. You'll always be my sister.